Today's scripture reading comes from Job chapter 1, verses 8 through 22. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be... Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me once more. God, thank you that you are sovereign, that you are in control. Even when things seem out of control, And thank you that you are with us and for us. And God, as we consider the life of Job, and as we delve into this passage together, and as we think together about this very important topic of pain and suffering, would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Would you comfort us? And at the the same time, would you remind us of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? God, we commit this time to you. Thank you. And in Christ, let me pray. Amen. How do you know if someone or something is real? You can either ask for proof to validate its authenticity, or you can put it to the test to see if it's really real. If someone were to come up to you and say, I got the perfect score in the SAT, then you can say, prove it. Verify it and bring the form. Let me see the certificate, right? If somebody says, and if somebody comes up here and says, I can throw a football 100 yards, you give him a football, let him throw it 100 yards to see if he can really do it, right? Somebody were to come up to you and say, I can still dunk a basketball, give him a basketball to see if he can still do it. If somebody were to say, I could eat 100 wings in one sitting, then you order him 100 wings to see if we, he can really do it, right? I can solve the Rubik's Cube blindfolded while holding it in one hand. Give him a Rubik's Cube to see if he can really do it. You get my point. You could put them to the test or can ask for a proof. Have you ever wondered if your faith in God is real? 
Is there a way to confirm it? Have you ever wondered if your love for God is genuine? And is there a way to verify it? Is it even possible to you know, validate the authenticity of our faith and our love for God? How do you know for sure? Am I real? I mean, I go to church on Sunday. I do the things that Christians do. I go to an Oikos group. I participate in revivals. I go to short-term missions. But how do you know for sure whether your faith in God and your love for God is real and genuine? Now, to answer those questions, I would like for us to think about suffering uh, from a biblical standpoint. And it is my prayer and hope this morning that we can find answers to those questions by looking at suffering through the lens of the gospel. And for those, and for those of you who are currently going through a deep season of, of pain and suffering, and I sincerely pray and hope that this message will comfort you, it will encourage you, and strengthen your walk with God as you learn to see and appreciate God's grace in our suffering, especially how God uses suffering for our good and for his glory. You know, this morning as we consider the life of Job, we'll be focusing on three things. Number one, what suffering reveals. Number two, suffering awakens us spiritually. And number three, suffering deepens our longing for heaven. Let's jump into the first point, what suffering reveals. See, something tragic happened to Job, as we have just seen in the passage that we read. He instantly lost everything. He went from having everything to having nothing. All of a sudden, he lost all of his possessions, all of his children, even his health, which is mentioned in Job chapter 2. His world got turned upside down. And for Job, the pain was real. The pain was you know, overwhelming. The pain was too much to bear. And he was so devastated, as Job 2.13 tells us, that he didn't speak for seven days. He was in so much pain. He didn't know what to do with it. And did you know, do you know what Job's wife actually told him? And this is how she tried to comfort him. This is mentioned in Job 2.9. And he, his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Let's just curse God and die. Even to his wife, what Job was going through, you know, this tragedy that just struck him and his family, it was just too much. So his wife told him, solution, let's just, let us just curse God and die because this is just too unbearable for, for you and me. But notice how Job responded to his wife, Job 2.10. You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And how did Job respond to such tragedy? I mean, it was devastating. It was painful. Verses one, uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 20 to 22, right? He fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And here's the thing, and this is the key. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Just think about this. I mean, isn't this mind-boggling? He fell on the ground and worshipped in the midst of all this brokenness. The question is, how? Does this, it, does this make uh, sense to you? 
I mean, it doesn't to me. I mean, it doesn't sound normal. It doesn't sound not natural. I mean, it would have made more sense to us if verse 20 ended something like this, right? Fell on the ground in disbelief. Job fell on the ground and was overwhelmed with grief. Job fell on the ground and was fuming with anger. Job fell on the ground and was feeling dejected, devastated, and hopeless. He fell on the ground and cursed God. I mean, that makes more sense, right? And we would even, we would even tell him, Job, you know, we get it. This is just too much, and we totally understand why you would even act that way and say those things, right? I mean, doesn't that sound more realistic? But Job doesn't do that. He fell on the ground and worshipped. Bob Goff, a Christian author, this is what he writes. Sometimes God uses the most difficult things in our lives to show us the most accurate things about our lives if we have the guts to receive a little grace. Even in the midst of such tragedy and deep pain and suffering, that those things did not shake Job. We see him keeping his faith and still being able to respond in faith. Not denouncing God, not walking out on God, but still walking with God, even through pain and suffering and worshiping him. That's remarkable. But I do have questions for you guys. How would you feel if something that tragic happened to you all of a sudden? How would you respond if something that tragic happened to you all of a sudden? And here's the thing. Our attitude towards God as we go through pain and suffering is the most honest depiction of what we really believe. Where we really are in our walk with God. How intimate and personal our relationship with God is. Because how we respond to pain and suffering clearly reveals whether our faith is real or not. How we respond to pain and suffering clearly indicates whether our love for God is genuine or not. And in the midst of such deep pain and intense suffering, notice that Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. Instead, he worshipped God because he knew God was good. He trusted and believed that God was sovereign. That even though all of these things didn't make sense to him, and it was unfair and unjust in his own eyes, but he still trusted, and he still worshipped God. And that is remarkable. But before we move on, let me clarify one thing here. Because how Job responds to such deep pain and suffering, I mean, this sounds almost um, inhuman, right? How can you possibly respond in such a way to that kind of tragedy that just strikes you all of a sudden and you can never prepare for something like that, right? So does this mean that we're just supposed to just worship God, that we're not allowed to, that it is actually wrong to, to break down in tears, that we're not allowed to have emotional meltdowns? I mean, is this, what, is this the message that we're supposed to walk away from, from this passage? I don't think so. And think with me for a moment here. It's extremely difficult to bear a sudden tragedy, and you agree with that, but it is impossible to be prepared for it. But what is even more excruciatingly difficult is the aftermath. 
having to endure its pain and consequences for weeks, for months, and even years, right? Unfortunately, Job experiences three sudden tragedies, back to back to back. And as today's passage reminds us, he ends up losing everything. All of his ten children, all of his wealth and possessions, even his health is compromised. But even in the midst of all this pain and suffering that utterly broke him and shook him to the core of his being, Job does something remarkable. Instead of cursing God, he worships God. He keeps his faith. It's almost unfair. How do you respond that way? But here here it is where it gets really real. Job eventually cracks, if you read onward, right? And he cracks because of the ongoing misery. And I'm really glad that he did, because we can totally relate to this part. I'm really glad that the story of Job didn't end in chapter 1. As we hear Job confessing and praising God, blessed be your name for you give and you take away And in all this, Job did not sin and charge God with wrongdoing. I'm glad that it didn't end like that. Because how are we supposed to respond that way? Every time we come face to face with tragedies and pain and suffering and trials as we continue to live in this broken world, right? And if we were to end it that way in chapter 1, I think that would have been just too brutal, even insensitive, right? I mean, are we supposed to just get on our knees and worship God, Right? Even when our heart is in great turmoil and our soul is in in a deep anguish and the pain just lingers on and on and on, what are we supposed to do with that, right? I mean, is this what we are supposed to say to those who are hurting, to our suffering, who have been going through seasons of agonizing pain and suffering, just to tell them, get on your knees and worship God? I mean, that would be heartless, right? After remaining silent for seven days, Job finally speaks. And this is Job chapter 3 onwards. And with his words, Job paints a picture of the dark night of his soul. What was really going on in its heart. And these are the cries of his soul. And I would like for us to read these words together, starting from Job chapter 3. I'm just going to be jumping back and forth. Just read along with me. Job chapter 3. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why is life given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death, but it comes not? For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Sounds like someone who is pouring out his heart, and he's in pain. He's in agony. Job 7 so I am allotted months of emptiness and nights of misery are portioned to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I rise? But the night is long and I am full of tossing till the dawn. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. The ongoing misery, the pain that just lingers on and on and on, the aftermath gets to him. Job 10, I loathe my life. I hate my life. I'll give free free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Job 30, and my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. The night racks my bones, and the pain that gnaws me takes no rest. 
With great force, my garment is disfigured. It binds me about like the collar of my tunic. God has cast me into the mire, and I become like dust and ashes. I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand, and you only look at me. You have turned cruel to me with the might of your hand. You persecute me. You lift me up uh, on the wind, and you make me ride on it. And you toss me about in the roar of the storm, and I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. But when I hoped for good, evil came. When I waited for light, darkness came. My inward parts are in turmoil and never still. Days of affliction come to meet me. And I go about darkened and not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. Doesn't sound like the joke that we met in chapter 1, right? When those tragedies struck back to back to back, as tragic as that was, Job was able to still respond in faith. And he kept his faith and worshiped God and did not turn away away from God. But this is the aftermath. He still has to live while grieving the death of his children, loss of all his possessions. His life was pretty much stripped away from him. He's trying to keep it together, but it's not easy. So Job cracks. But I'm glad that this is mentioned because this is the part that we can relate, right? Job 1 just seems too good to be true. I remember there was a a point where Sean and I were going through our season of pain and suffering, which is still continuing even to this day. I remember when it got just so intense and to the point that I couldn't bear it no more. I was was being a caregiver to my wife. And I remember at that time I was in youth ministry in Northern Virginia. I remember just coming to worship God and that day I was just standing as our praise team was leading us to a time of worship. I remember just telling God, you know, God, I can't sing that song today. And they were singing, Blessed Be Your Name. And I was just being honest with God. God, I don't feel like singing that right now because that's not where my heart is. Blessed be your name for you give and you take away. I I refuse to sing that right now. And I'm sure you can relate. When you're going through pain and suffering, when your heart is broken, when your soul, you know, there's a crack in your soul. You can't just fall down on your knees and worship God, right? But here we see Job doing what we would have done. And I'm glad this is mentioned. See, Job had three friends named Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And as soon as Job breaks silence, after remaining silent for seven days because his foot is in so much pain, right? They come and they try to comfort him. And they try to comfort him by talking to him. And their conversations are recorded in chapters 4 through 31. And for time's sake, we're not going to go into that. But here's the thing. Ironically, I mean, they came to support him, to encourage him and support him. But ironically, they end up saying things that are unnecessary, insensitive, and harsh to Job, to someone who is a righteous man in agony. So a lesson for us there is, when you try to comfort those who are going through a season of deep pain and suffering, don't be like Job's friends. Because what they did was, they went, they went all prosperity gospel on Job. They're taking turns one by one. Job, perhaps God is punishing you because of your sin. Maybe you did something wrong, so God is not happy with you. Maybe if you get your act together, God will bless you again. Maybe 
if you repented in the past, that those three tra- tra- I mean, tragedies that struck you back to back, maybe that would have never happened, right? That's what they say to, to someone who is hurting. But, but Job, his work is really good. While having this conversation, these theological debates with his friends, he begins to call them out and saying, you guys are wrong. And I don't believe that. I don't buy that. And this is mentioned in chapters 26 to 31, right? And as he talks to his friends and as he responds to what they're saying, I don't believe that because that's not true. That's not the God that I know. And as he does this more and more, as he talks, he begins to regain his gospel consciousness. And he begins to remember who God really is. And in doing so, Job begins to once again turn to God. And his heart, his broken heart, begins to gravitate towards him again. And this is what suffering does. This is what pain does. It makes us yearn for God again. He tells his friends, I know it doesn't look like it, but my God is sovereign. My God is still good. My God is gracious. My God is merciful. My God is just. And what you're saying about my God is not true. So as he was processing these raw emotions, coming from a soul that was in deep anguish, coming from a heart that was in turmoil, but as he converses with his friends, that leads him closer and closer to God as he is honest with his own broken heart. Now, in, the, in his book, For the Cry of the Soul, How Our Emotions Reveal Our Deepest Questions About God, the author Dan Allender writes this. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. To understand our deepest passions and convictions, we must learn to listen to the cry of the soul. Emotions are the cry of the soul. They expose what we are doing with the soul of life and in turn reveal what our heart is doing with God. The Psalms mirror the human soul. We look into them and we see ourselves. The Psalms uh, propel us into the deepest questions about ourselves, about others, and about God. And we, as we let them expose the depth of our emotion, they will lead us to the God who reveals himself in the midst of our struggle. And then the more and more Job became honest with what was really going on in his heart and in his soul, he met God intimately and personally. And through pain and suffering, God drew him to the depth that he didn't know was possible in his relationship with God. But here's the thing, as Pastor Tim Keller reminds us, sadly, you know, Job never finds out why those uh, tragedies happen back to back to back. Job never saw why he suffered, but here's the thing, Job saw God, and that was enough. That was enough, right? See, pain and suffering... It's a portal to the heart of God, and I really, really believe that. And through pain and suffering, as you can see, Job was able to encounter God in an even more intimate way, and he met God who reveals himself to his people more intimately, more personally in the midst of our struggles. Because you know what pain and suffering do for us? They stretch our capacities to know our Savior more more intimately, more deeply, more personally. And that's exactly what happened to Job. And that is actually the best thing that can happen to, to him. 
Jump at the second point. Suffering awakens us spiritually. Let me read for us Job 42 verse 5. This is what he says, Job. As he is processing the, the raw emotions, the deep anguish of his soul, the turmoil in his own heart. But as his heart turns closer and closer to God, this is his confession, right? I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Suffering awakened his senses spiritually so that in spite of what was happening before him, regardless of the circumstances, he was able to see God clearly. Now the question that we need to ask ourselves is this. When we are going through a season of pain and suffering, you know, what do we see? What do you see, guys, when you go through pain and suffering? How is your spiritual vision? Do you have any blind spots? There is a psychological term called um, scotoma. And the definition um, is a partial loss of vision or a blind spot in a normal visual field. And to quote, scotomization is a psychological tendency in people to see what they want to see and not see what they don't want to see in situations, in themselves, in anything, even in a painting, due to the psychological impact that seeing or not seeing would inflict. See, when suffering strikes unexpectedly, our spiritual vision gets blurred, compromised. We can't see clearly anymore. Scotoma happens, and our spiritual vision gets darkened. The term scotoma actually comes from the Greek word scotos, which means darkness. And in the older literature, uh, this word was used as a synonym for negative hallucination. So we begin to hallucinate. We can't see clearly. And in the midst of pain and suffering, we end up seeing things that are not true. And also we end up not seeing things that are true. Our vision gets compromised, right? And let's be honest, we've all been there. It's disorienting, going through pain and suffering. But Charles Spurgeon, um, he reminds us, how God still uses pain and suffering for our good, and and that is that God uses pain and suffering to awaken us spiritually. And I quote him from, from his book, Besides the Waters, In prosperity, God is heard, and that is a blessing. In adversity, God is seen, and that is a greater blessing. Sanctified adversity quickens spiritual sensitivity. Sorrow after sorrow will make the spirit and infuse a delicacy of perception that perhaps will not come in any other way. Most of us are so coarse that we, need, that we need melting to attain the sacred softness by which the Lord God is joyfully perceived. The child of God, if you are suffering as much as Job, and if your suffering permits you to see the Lord with a spiritually enlightened eye, be thankful for the sorrowful process. That's what suffering does. And it's good. It awakens us spiritually. And sometimes we need pain and suffering to disorient us so that we can snap out of scotoma, so that our visions can be realigned, so that our hearts can be resynced with the heart of God, the promises of the gospel, so that we can learn to see clearly again, so we can learn to see beyond our circumstances, what we are going through, but really learn to see the God who 
is sovereign, who is in control over what we are going through, and still working out everything for our good and for his glory. In his novel, um, Prince Caspian, uh, C.S. Lewis, by C.S. Lewis, um, there's a scene uh, where Lucy uh, ends up meeting Aslan for the, very, for the first time in uh, many years. And, and this is what Lucy says, and as he notices that Aslan has changed since their last encounter. And, and I quote, Lucy says, Aslan, you're bigger. And Aslan responds, that is because you are older, little one. And Lucy says, no, not because you are. Aslan responds by saying, I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Do you find God to be bigger in your life with each passing year? Have you been growing up in the gospel so that when you look at your life, you don't just see the brokenness, but you see God who is at work. You see God who is sovereign. You see God who is in control. You see God, even if it doesn't make sense to you, is still working all things out for your good. What do you see? Are the problems bigger than God? Was God growing bigger and bigger because your faith in him is growing and, and being strengthened and deepened as you walk with him. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, you know, don't let your circumstances, your pain, your suffering, keep you from seeing God's greatness, God's goodness, and keep you from worshiping him who is sovereign, who is at work, who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, then even behind the scenes, when you, even when we do not have all the answers, he is still at work and he is for you and with you, never against you. And don't forget that, especially when suffering disorients you so that you can see clearly. Let's jump into our last point. Suffering deepens our longing for heaven. Joni um, Erickson taught up and in a recent interview with Christianity Today, um, this is what she shared. And she's a uh, quadriplegic, and she became a quadriplegic in a diving accident uh, almost 50 years ago. And she's been living uh, with pain and suffering, and that's a daily thing for her. But one of the most um, encouraging and comforting words that I've read on the topic of suffering have come from this lady. <laughs> So I would like to highly recommend um, her books. But this is what she said in a recent interview. For the fourth time that day, I needed to be lifted out of my wheelchair and laid down. Then I had to undress and readjust my corset. Shallow breathing, sweating, and a skyrocketing blood pressure signaled that something was pinching or bruising my paralyzed body. As my secretary tissued away my tears and unfolded my office sofa bed, I stared vacantly at the ceiling. I want to quit this, I mumbled. Physical affliction and emotional pain are frankly part of my daily routine. But these hardships are God's way of helping me to get my mind on the hereafter. And I don't mean the hereafter as a death wish, psychological crutch, or escape from the reality. I mean it, I mean it as the true reality, 
Nothing more radically altered the way I look at my suffering than leapfrogging to this end of time vantage point. When God sent a broken neck my way, he blew out the lamps in my life that lit up the here and now and made it so captivating. The dark despair of total and permanent paralysis that followed wasn't much fun, but it sure made heaven come alive. And one day when our bridegroom comes back, probably when I'm right in the middle of lying down on my office sofa for the umpteen time, God is going to throw open heaven's shutters, and there's not a doubt in my mind that I'll be fantastically more excited and ready for it than if I were on my feet. In the meantime, suffering hurries my heart homeward. Brothers and sisters, do you long for heaven? Are you homesick spiritually? Do you eagerly await the return of the King, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You know, as long as we live in this broken world, it is impossible for us to avoid pain and suffering. But as you continue your journey of faith, even through pain and suffering, here are two things uh, to remember, and I would like to close with this. Number one, uh, remembering who is in charge. And, and second one, remembering how the story ends. I want you to uh, turn with me to chap- uh, today's passage of verses 8 and onward. Uh, let me just read this one more time. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? And there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. But this is what Satan does. And he has been waging war against God's beloved for centuries and he's not going to stop because he knows his time is coming. He knows. He already knows that he has already been defeated 2,000 years ago on the cross. He knows how the story is going to end for him. So what he's going to do in the meantime until the second coming is to destroy Christians, discourage them, tempt them so that they can walk away from God. But notice what God tells Satan. You can touch all that he has, but Job, don't touch him. He's untouchable. The stuff that he owns, take it. But he's my beloved, do not touch him. And Satan listens. Because even Satan knows who's in charge, right? And sometimes, And especially as you're going through pain and suffering, you will feel as if God has abandoned you and that Satan is just there waging war against you. But even at those moments, when you feel hopeless, do not forget this, that God is in charge, that he is sovereign, that you are his beloved, that you are his untouchable. Matt Smethurst, this is what he writes, and I think this is a a very good reminder for us in light of pain and suffering. And he, he says, Satan is a lion. Jesus is a lion. One is on a leash. The other is on the throne. The Bible uses an imagery of lion to depict both God, God and Satan. Right? First Peter 5, be alert and sober mind. Your, the, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion 
looking for someone to devour. But Revelation 5, 5, the line of Judah, right? This is Christ who went to the cross and he defeated Satan, sin, and death, our enemy, once and for all. Satan knows this. So know who is in charge. And know that there's nothing in this world that can separate you from his love. Revelation 12, 9 through 12. Here, we're once again reminded this is how the story is going to end for us and for Satan. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. He knows the battle has already been won by Christ and his time is short. That's why he's going to do whatever it takes to wreak havoc so that you forget God, you walk away from him. But as he continues to wage war with you, cling to Christ, but not only that, remember the one who is in charge. Now, remembering how the story ends. If you look at Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, Job shares an an amazing confession in the midst of pain and suffering, and this is what he actually tells one of his friends. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I, my, I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. See, Job knows how the story is going to end, that there is going to be a resurrection harvest on that day. The enemy has been defeated and that his redeemer lives. And this is why Job was able to confess back in chapter 1, right? Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, the blessed be your name. And this is why you know, Job did not charge you know, God with wrongdoing and he did not sin in anger. This is why Job continued to walk with God even through pain and suffering and even as he was experiencing the deep anguish and turmoil in his heart and soul, he continued to walk with God. And this is why Job continued to fear God, worship God with reverence and awe, and he shunned evil all the days of his life because he knew the story was going to end like this. And he lived each day in light of this the eternal perspective. What about you guys? When suffering comes, and as you're going through deep pain, remember this. This is how the story is going to end, right? That day is coming, as, we, as Revelation 21, 4 through 6 reminds us, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older order of things that passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. 
And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is where history is headed. So live in light of that. And it will enable you to withstand whatever enemy throws at you, whatever this world throws at you. It will enable you to to stand and walk with God even through pain and suffering. And I think Andrew Walker, he's absolutely right when he writes, we live in a Genesis 3 world with a Genesis 1 blueprint on a trajectory to a Revelation 21 future. This is not the world that God has created, but it is broken because of sin. But we know where this is headed. And on that day, he's going to come and he's going to make all things new. That's where we are headed, right? So with that in mind, I want to encourage you especially for those of you who are going through a a deep season of pain and suffering right now. You can cry with hope with this in mind. You can grieve with hope. And at worst, we can even say goodbye with hope because we know this is where the story is headed and this is how the story is going to end. There's a guy named Rick Rigsby, and he's a um, motivational speaker and an author. And he, he gave a talk um, as he addressed the, the graduates of Cal Maritime, um, but he addressed them and charged them with the message of hope. And he's the guy um, who lost his wife to a uh, breast cancer. And, and, this is, and to quote what he, what he shares, uh, how, how that pain really and utterly broke him, and this is what he wrote, for two years my heart didn't beat. But if it wasn't for my faith in God, I wouldn't be here today. I was completely lost. That was rock bottom for me. But then in that talk, he talks about how his father, who was a third grade dropout, but this is what he told him, and this is what he taught him as uh, they were standing in front of his wife's casket, getting ready to say goodbye for the last time. And this is what he said to him. Son, just stand. And you keep standing. And no matter what, no matter how difficult it gets, you keep standing. And let's be honest, brothers and sisters, so sometimes that's the only thing that we can do. Worship God, forget it. But I pray and hope that as you remember who is in charge, as you remember how the story is going to end, that you will keep standing in faith, that you will keep standing upon the solid rock, Christ Jesus, our chief cornerstone, that you will keep standing, that you will keep living, you will keep walking with God, knowing and believing and trusting that all things, including pain and suffering, will work out for your good and for his glory. So keep standing, brothers and sisters. And that's how you bear gospel witness, through pain and suffering. And as you stand, you point the people around you to the Savior, who is your source of strength and comfort, hope in the midst of pain and suffering. Brothers and sisters, The faith that can be shaken is the faith that 
has been shaken. So don't be discouraged. Don't, do not lose heart if you're going through a season of pain and suffering. You know, just because you're going through pain and suffering doesn't mean that God loves you less. And not going through pain and suffering doesn't mean that God loves you more. Because sometimes God's grace comes to us in the form of pain and suffering. And as Joni Erickson Tata reminds us, that some of God's best gifts are unwrapped in the darkness. And sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. The suffering he makes us more and more like him as he refines us. And never doubt in the darkness what you once believed in the light. Let's pray. God, we praise you for you are sovereign. And we praise you for you are good. God, we humbly acknowledge and declare that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That your plans are perfect. God, especially as we go through a season of brokenness, a season of pain and suffering, and even in those moments when we do not even have the answers and things that are happening before our very own eyes are beyond our comprehension. God, instead of walking away, instead of cursing you, and instead of walking out on you, God, would you, through those very seasons, would you awaken our, would you awaken our hearts so that we may be able to see you clearly and help us to meet you in a more intimate way through pain and suffering and help us to live in light of eternity knowing that a day is coming when you will come to make all things new. And on that day, there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more brokenness. So help us live with eternal perspective. Help us live with eternity in mind, Lord. God, I pray for those who are suffering. I pray for those who are going through a season of deep pain and sorrow. Father, I entrust them into your hands. But through this season, would you reveal yourself to them in an intimate way and help them to encounter and experience you in an intimate way, Lord, so that their faith in you and their love for you will be even more strengthened and deepened so that they can continue to walk with you, continue to stand, and continue to live for your kingdom and glory so that as they stand, they'll be able to bear gospel witness for your kingdom and glory, Lord. God, thank you that our lives are in your hands. Thank you that there's absolutely nothing in this world that can separate us from your love. And thank you so much that you work out all things, including pain and suffering and brokenness, for our good and your glory. God, we love you. We cannot thank you enough for your grace in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.